We're going to pick up uh, the story today. We're doing uh, this sermon series called Encounters, which is really just going over these moments that Jesus has with people and watching everything for them change. And um, most of these will be good changes. Most of these will be like, there's a man who's, you know, has no sight, and then he meets Jesus, and Jesus hawks a loogie in the dirt and makes up some mud and rubs it on his face, and then he gets his sight back, right? So it's like, it's got a nice ending. This one today, uh, not, not the best ending. Um, it's a challenge to us as disciples, as people who follow Jesus, whether or not we'll actually truly be disciples or not. And that's why we ask you that question. What are some of the objections that people have to following Jesus? Because some of those objections um, are really intense and really hard to answer and are things that hold people back from being disciples, right? So, I mean, I, I know some of the most common ones is I was thinking about, I told both of them, by the way, don't say the most common things that you would come up with, right? So like, don't give away some of the answers that people might have, you know, and so come up with different ones. So they, they kind of tried to think a little bit outside the box and, um, you know, that was good. But I'm, I, I talk to people all the time. They're like, hey, I don't know if I can really be a disciple of Jesus because this horrible thing has happened to me or my family or someone I love, and I don't know if I can trust that God is good. That's a real serious objection that people have that we have to wade into and have conversation around and give time to heal and be on a journey with people as they process that. And that takes time, and it's okay, and that's okay to be there. And that's a real objection people have. I think a lot of people, they do have objections over whether or not they feel like this is um, something that's applicable to their life today. That maybe this was thousands of years ago, or old-fashioned people that like were religious and Almost like it's sort of uh, antithetical to their values to be a religious person. It feels like weakness to them. And so that's a real objection that people have. I think there's a, a lot of people who kind of struggle with the idea of actually like not being in control of their own life, right? That's a real objection that I think a lot of people have. And so there's a lot of things that keep us from being a disciple. And the thing I want to kind of warn us today of is that sometimes, you know, in, in this situation for sure, People follow Jesus because they think they can get something from him or that he can provide something to their life, like almost as if, you know, he does provide a lot to our life. I'm not saying he doesn't do, okay, I'm in, I'm in trouble already. Um, but, but we almost like look at him like this vending machine. Today I need this. Let me put the, the, the quarter in and push the, the, the code and let him spit out the thing that I need today. And, and following Jesus is not like that. If you're hoping that Jesus will continue to provide something for you every day on demand exactly the way you want, that's not how a relationship with God works. In fact, if you think of your relationship with God as a relationship, it helps you to understand relationships don't ever work like that. If they do, they're really unhealthy, right? If you have a relationship with somebody and they exist to just give you what you need all the time, then you are using that person for your own personal gain, and that person is at you know, a disadvantage in that relationship, and that's not a healthy environment to be in. Okay? And so sometimes we treat our relationship with Jesus that way, and that's, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to see this as a relationship, as a, a way that we kind of interact with God, and to take those high moments, those low moments, those difficult times, those amazing times, and to continue to be with Jesus through all those times when things are confusing, when things make sense, when things are difficult, when things are awesome. We're called to be in relationship with God and to continue to grow in that. And so today, Jesus is coming into contact with a bunch of people who you can understand where they're coming from. So Jesus, in John chapter 6, 
starts off the chapter where he feeds 5,000 people out of one lunch bag, right? There's a little boy who comes up and says, I have a couple of barley loaves and a couple of fish here. And Jesus feeds 5,000, actually 5,000 men, plus all of the women and children that go with 5,000 men at the time. There was probably like, I mean, this must have felt like a stadium, like 10,000, 15,000, 20,000. We don't know exactly how many were there, but it was a lot more than 5,000. And Jesus feeds everybody to their, to their fullest point. You know that, you know, you go to the all-you-can-eat buffet and you walk out and you're like, man, I really shouldn't have had that last roll of sushi. You know that feeling? That one where you're like, if I, I just wanted to get my money's worth, but if I just not had that last, that last roll of sushi, you'd have felt better. Everybody walked out with that feeling. By the way, it was the best possible. I mean, I, I can only imagine the bread that Jesus hands out in this environment must have been just like the most delicious bread you've ever had in your life, the best fish, the freshest fish that you've ever seen in your life. Everyone ate to their fill. Everyone left completely full. I can imagine in the first century, there wasn't a lot of moments where you left a day, an evening, a time, a, a, a gathering totally full. There was probably a lot of moments where it was like family hold back. Like, hey, we're going to feed a lot of people with a little bit, right? We're going to make this work. You might have left a wedding feeling like that or a huge occasion, a Passover time. But most of the time, you left full, but not full. Jesus fed everyone till they were full. And when it was done, there were another 12 baskets full of leftovers that the disciples then had to figure out what to do with. And it was like everybody was so full they didn't even want to eat any more of that leftover, of that leftover bread. You know, my mother-in-law has had this... Uh, uh, I didn't ask for her permission to tell this story, but I'm going to brag about her, so I think it's okay. So uh, she's had, she had this bread that... Uh, it was like one of these things, a starter, and you like feed it potato flakes... And it, like, it was alive. She, like, it was like a baby to her. She had this thing, I think since Marty was like five or something. Like, so for like over 20 years, she had like kept this starter alive and made bread every single week, every single week, every, all the time. And like, we would fight over who gets this bread. Like when I would visit, I would be like, I am offended if you don't send me home with like a chunk, a piece, a whole loaf. A loaf meant... Like, you were, like, part of the family, like, you were in. I remember the first time I got a loaf, and I was like, all right. She just gave me permission to marry her daughter. Like, this is, I'm in. This is what I'm looking for. And so she had this starter alive for, like, 20 years, and it was, like, a regiment every single week, feeding at the same time, baking it at the same time, and having these loaves. She would give them out as gifts. Everybody knew about this bread. It was just the most incredible bread you could possibly eat. I can't explain it to you. It's not like anything you can buy anywhere. It, it just doesn't exist except for her starter. And um, a couple years ago, she had, uh, she had fed the bread, but there was something going on in their kitchen. I think it was like really hot, or maybe there were some like flies or something. So she had just taken it and put it in the oven as it was like kind of proofing or rising or, or eating. I don't know what it was doing. Something. It, was, it needed time on the counter. She puts it in the oven just to keep it off the counter, keep it out of the kitchen and then later on that day she went to make dinner and she just turned the oven on to preheat it and she killed the starter and I mean it was like there was like a funeral in the family like it like we were all like wait wait we're gonna come visit grandma and she's not gonna have the bread like I'm, I'm lucky my kids are old enough to remember the bread you know like like it was it was devastating and it, it's like 
you can't, you can't replace it. Like, she's tried. It's not the same. 20 years of feeding that thing, of caring for that thing. It was like a, it's like a family member. And, you know, and I was thinking about this, like, that's the kind of food probably that Jesus provided to those 5,000. It wasn't, it wasn't the, like, the cheap stuff. It wasn't the day-old leftover stuff that's getting tossed in the, the dumpster out behind a, a, a grocery store. It was, the, it was the family bread. It was the bread that everybody ate and ate and ate and couldn't stop eating and talked about probably for years to come how amazing that was. And, and I don't know if you're like me when you go on vacation. You're like, vacation seems just like a, a series of days where all you're doing is planning your next meal. We're like, you're like, great, we just had breakfast. What are we having for lunch again? You know? And then you have lunch and you're like, hey, maybe we'll eat around 7 tonight. Like, what are we having for, for dinner? I think being alive in the first century probably felt a lot like that, but just not on the positive end of being on vacation. There was a lot of thought given into, like, man, we got to eat again soon. we got to figure this out. we got to go mill some stuff and bake some stuff and make some stuff. Like, there was a regiment to what they were doing, sort of like my mother-in-law with her bread. And bread was, like, the thing that, like, every single person, multiple times a day, had to think about, had to do stuff for, had to, to kind of plan their life around so that they could have food when they needed it. And Jesus comes along and he just says, I'm going to give the best bread to everyone. I'm going to fill you up to your, your absolute fullest point. There's going to be leftovers. This is going to be incredible. And these people understood that. Right? They're all there, 10,000 of them, 15,000 of them, whatever, are there. And Jesus feeds them all. And it's this unbelievable moment. And everyone says, if he can do this, he can do anything. And we're in to follow Jesus. Cut to the next scene. The disciples are going across the, the lake, and a uh, storm comes rolling up on them. Jesus is off on his own, having a moment of solitude, which, by the way, having a moment of solitude is what gives you the power to follow Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And if you don't have any solitude in your life, you should go back and listen to our sermon series in January about creating some of that space in your life, because you need it. Jesus comes running across the water towards them, and they're terrified and he goes, hey, don't worry about it. It's me, Jesus. And he gets in the boat, and he saves them. They get across the lake. And the next morning, the crowd that has just been fed is like, we got to eat again. we got to find Jesus. And they don't know where Jesus is because they saw the boat go out without Jesus in it. And then they didn't see the part where Jesus went like trotting across the top of the water and jumped in the boat and st- stilled the storm and made them get across the sea in a safe way. So they don't know where Jesus is. And so they're, they're arguing with each other. Where's Jesus? We don't know. So they get in their boats and they go across the way to where Jesus is. And they find Jesus teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum across the way from where they were all fed. And that's kind of where we pick the story up. So the disciples, think about this, have just seen 15,000, whatever it was, whatever that number was, thousands of people fed the best bread till everyone was full. And then they watched him scurry across the lake, jump in their boat, I mean, just incredible. They're like, we are on the team that is got the power, the most powerful person alive, and we're committed to him, and we're disciples of him, and we'll do whatever it takes to follow him. Like they have seen now that Jesus is is the real deal, and then there's all these other people who are like, yeah, we got fed, and we want to keep getting fed, and we want that bread, and that's the story that we kind of pick up here. And Jesus preaches a sermon. So I'm going to actually read to you. I'm going to start here with chapter or with verse 25, and I don't have it on screens. I just want to read you Jesus' sermon. I can't improve on Jesus' sermon. It's his sermon. It's his talk. And I want to show you that there are moments when 
Jesus uh, pushes on us as disciples to see whether we're true disciples or whether we're coming to Jesus to get what we need in a way that uses him, right? Or whether we're true disciples who have a relationship with Jesus or we're just in it for the bread, okay? So here's what Jesus says. Verse 25, when the crowds found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? We didn't see you come trotting across the lake. We don't understand how you got across the lake. This doesn't make any sense to us. The disciples are like, dude, we got a story for you. Listen to this, right? So they find Jesus across the lake. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You ate the special bread. You had your fill. And now I'm just your bread guy. That's what I am to you. I'm just here to provide you another meal, to take care of that next meal that you haven't really given thought to, to provide for you that really good bread that you're looking forward to. It was so good. You're back for more. Maybe you've had this experience at a restaurant where you have a meal somewhere, and then you just can't stop thinking about that meal. And then you're just like, I really want that again. And then you're like back there within a week or two. Just me. It's a fat guy problem. Okay. Um, So he says... uh, He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then he asked them, or they, so then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? This is a good good question to ask. Okay, Jesus, we hear you. Don't work for food that spoils. Work for the food that's eternal. Okay, we're not really sure what you're talking about. What do we need to do? And Jesus says, the work of God is this to believe in the one that he has sent. I mean, this is just a basic form of the gospel, right? In one sentence, he says to them, look, it's not about what was provided to you. It's about the the relationship that you now have as an opportunity to know God through me, right? If you follow me, then you'll understand what the gospel is. You'll understand what it means to be somebody who knows God, that the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. And he's He's like, believe in the one that he has sent. He's like pointing to himself, right? So they asked him, well, what sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so they go, hey, Jesus, um, remember the disciples, or remember the, the Israelites when they were in the wilderness and how every morning they woke up and they had this sweet bread sitting there for them and they ate? There were millions of them that ate for like years that you provided this bread in the wilderness for them, and it was like there every day. Like, we would love to see that come back. Can we bring that back? You know, there's a lot of things coming back right now that are ruining my childhood, right? If any of you guys are following along, like if, I guess probably if you're 40, you're just like right now in that sweet spot of watching everything you loved as a child get completely ruined in a remake. It's brutal. And if you're like 30 and you're like, no, I don't know about it, it's coming. Just wait. Five more years, all your crap's going to get remade, right? Like right now we're in, the, in that sweet spot. And they're like, hey, can we bring back the free bread daily thing? That was awesome. Remember that in the, in the wilderness where like they woke up every morning, there was bread. It was amazing. Which, by the way, just think about this for a second. The Israelites eventually got tired of the amazing sweet bread that was sitting out for them every morning they woke up. Like... The, 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 the physical thing that you think you want, that you think will change your life, will actually not fill you and not be the thing that provides you what it is that you're looking for from it. Like, you think you want the free bread every day, but actually, you really, you really don't. What you want is the relationship with Jesus, the relationship with God. And those things that he provides for you are even that much more sweet. 
they got tired of this incredible free bread in the wilderness. So Jesus says to them, very truly I tell you, it wasn't Moses who gave them the bread from heaven. It was my Father who gave them the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the true bread comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they're like, I don't know. Now, this would have like, Makes me wonder, because I'm one of those people that always wants to fill in the details. Like, have you ever thought about what feeding that many people actually looked like, like practically? You know, we talked about the water into wine, what that looked like. Did they pour water into a cup and it turned into wine? Did they, like, did he wave his hand over the things and, like, they became... What was the actual mechanism? We don't know. Like, it doesn't tell us, but I want to know those things. And what was the bread looking like in this situation where they were feeding, like, thousands and thousands of people? Like, in my mind now, as I read this, like, did it <laughs> descend from above? Like, I just thought about bread just kind of dropping into, like, that moment. Or did they keep reaching into the basket and it just kept not going away? Like, did, like, I, did he just hold his hands out and there was another loaf and someone took that one and then he just did it again and there was another loaf? Like, did everyone close their eyes to pray and then they opened their eyes and there was just stacks, just, like, 10-foot-high stacks? Of, I, don't, I don't know. But I wonder about those things because I'm weird. Um, and he kind of gives them this idea for the bread of God is, is from heaven. It comes down from heaven and it gives life to the world. And they're very confused. They're like, we just wanted breakfast and we don't understand what you're talking about. We're talking about physical bread and you're talking about something else. We don't really know. So they said, sir, always give us this bread. We want it. We're hungry. Now, there is a type of hunger that's a spiritual hunger that causes us to go and seek after God, and it causes us to lean in, and it causes us to follow him, and it causes us to become disciple of him, and that is the right kind of hunger that we're looking for in our lives. But there's also a physical hunger where we desire to serve ourselves, we desire to get what we need, we desire to be the one that's in the control of our lives, and that kind of hunger, Jesus doesn't fit into that kind of hunger and he's challenging them, saying, you guys aren't, you're, yes, you're hungry, but not spiritually hungry. You're physically hungry. You want what the vending machine can give you, not what I'm actually offering to you. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hum- hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me. You still don't believe. All the Father gives me will come, all, sorry, all those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven to do the will, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall let none of those he has given me, I will not lose any of those who he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. And this is the beginning of the I am uh, things that are happening here in John. There's like um, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven I am's in John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, truth, and life. I am the true vine. And what we miss in this conversation is that Jesus is referencing back to the name of God in the Old Testament. I am is the name of God. It literally means to exist. So this word, when uh, Moses says to, to the burning bush, to God in the burning bush, hey, who should I tell them sent me to come and free the slaves from Egypt? He says, I am who I am. I am that I am. I am. I just exist. 
My name is existence, essentially. My name is I am. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is connecting himself to that bush, to God's name, to the Old Testament version of who Jesus is to these Jews. And it is an intense moment that we don't pick up exactly in English. Jesus declares, I'm God. I'm bread for you. I am am bread of life. That's who I am. That is what I am. At this, the Jews began to grumble. Of course, they would grumble because he just called himself God. You should also grumble if you meet somebody who says that they are God. They are probably very mentally unstable, and you should probably grumble in that moment. You meet somebody on the, you know, on the street. I don't know what street you're out on, but if you meet somebody on the street, and they're like, hey, I'm God, you're like, I got to go. It's nice to meet you. Right? 41, this is, uh, the Jews there began to grumble, and they said to him, I am the bread that came down from heaven? They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came from heaven? And Jesus immediately chimes in, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them. I will raise them up the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father has learned and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And this is why early on in Christianity, uh, Christians were called um, uh, people who eat other people. Cannibals, thank you. The word was there. They were called cannibals. Because Jesus literally says, eat my flesh. Look what he says. Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you'll have no life in you. Listen, I have preached, preached some stinkers. I mean, a lot of sermons in my years. Some really bad ones. There are moments where I go home and I go, well, I'm glad the Holy Spirit is a thing. Because that whoever got something out of that, it was a God moment. Okay? I have preached sermons I didn't love. I have actually, our first year I preached a sermon, and I went home and I was so frustrated with how it came out that I preached it again the next week. I just preached the same exact sermon. I just said, hey, i got to redo. Sorry, this is an imperfect church for imperfect people. That was a terrible one last week. Let me do it again. And preached it over again. Uh, I have never watched the entire church walk away from a bad sermon. Okay, Jesus' sermon here is so intense. I'm not saying it's bad. That was, that's not the, what we're going for here. It's so intense that look what happens to the crowd of people who are following along uh, with him. So this is verse 53, if you're following along. This is what Jesus says to them. Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life. I will raise them at the last day for my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. The one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna, they died. But whoever feeds on this bread of life will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So he preaches this sermon to all of those people who have come to find the bread that he gives, and 
this is where we pick up, this is what the point of this sermon is. Verse 60, okay? Verse 60. Here we have it on screen. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching and who can accept it. In that moment when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they had no idea what he was actually talking about, what he was pointing to. Jesus would literally say the same thing the moments before he went to the cross or the night before he went to the cross with his disciples where he would break bread with them and say, this is my body which has been broken for you. Eat of it. When you eat of it, think about me. Remember me. Here's my blood poured out for you in this cup. I'm going to choose the cup that God has given me. And when you take this cup, I want you to remember the things that I have done for you. This sermon fits squarely into the idea of what he was here to do, but these disciples weren't necessarily ready to hear the difficult teaching that Jesus was giving them. And I have to ask the question, am I ready to hear a difficult teaching that Jesus is wanting to give me that I myself may not be ready to listen to? And how would I react when there's something that I don't necessarily 100% agree with or can't square with my own ideas and with the culture around me? When I see that hard teaching, when I hear that hard teaching, what do I do? In that moment, am I pressing into Jesus to figure out what this means, or am I fleeing from Jesus in that moment? Aware that his disciples were grumbling, verse 61, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? That What if you see the, man, the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? He says, like, okay, what if I literally go to heaven and let you see me sitting on the throne? Then would you, would you believe the teaching? I think there's an interesting thing that we do as, uh, as believers in this culture. We almost sometimes try to explain things away or not want to engage in certain topics or not want to, you know, I think a lot of times this is what happens with people with miracles. They say, this couldn't possibly be the case. He couldn't have possibly fed that many people. He couldn't possibly have, you know, fixed this guy's eyesight. He couldn't possibly have healed a leper. He couldn't possibly have done all this stuff. And we, we explain away some of these miracles or we try to find ways to, I remember I was watching this uh, Ancient Aliens episode and they were talking about how the, the uh, Israelites were probably fed in the desert by a machine that the aliens gave them that produced this uh, chlorophyll. I, I mean, it was like um, unbelievable the lengths that we'll go to to explain away a story that we, you know. I want to stop and, and say this. Like, you believe in a God who stepped into humanity, came down from heaven, made himself a man, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, if you have no problem squaring the resurrection of someone and their ascension into heaven, why are we worried about squaring away all the other pieces of this? Why are we trying to explain away miracles, uh, supernatural things outside of nature, things that our modern science can't explain to us? Why are we worried about trying to explain all these things away? If you want to explain something away, how about the resurrection? If at the end of the day you believe Jesus was raised from the dead for a purpose, that a, a dead person came back to life, all the other miracles are way smaller than that. Feeding a bunch of people is a very small thing in comparison to the resurrection of a dead person. Like if we can be okay with that miracle, we should be okay with all of the miracles. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody and they were they're like they're a history buff, and they're like, yeah, you know, the first century when Constantine, you know, like co-opted the church. This was great. 
because it made the church spread to the ends of the earth. And I was like, it was terrible. Christianity is at its worst when it's mixed with the government. Whenever power co-ops Christianity, it's at its worst. It brought us moments like indulgences and, you know, and uh, crusades and inquisitions. And it's like terrible. Christianity took a turn in the third century and went off into a place it was never intended to be for a very long time before the Reformation brought it back to a place where we could get back to a purity of what it meant to follow Jesus. I was like, it's terrible. And he's like, no, it spread to the ends of the earth. It was the greatest thing. He's like, there's no way Christianity could have possibly spread to the ends of the earth if it wasn't for Constantine, if it wasn't for that. And I was like, hold on a second. You don't think there was any way God would have spread his message to the ends of the earth? Like, (laughs) for three centuries, it existed outside of the government. It was a subversive counterculture that just kept growing and moving and changing people's lives and bringing in lost people. And it was around tables. It was in houses. It was, you know, there's one uh, famous letter back and forth between uh, the emperor and a prefect where they're talking about Christianity. And he's like, we can't stop this. It's extended past the city limits and into the farming communities. And it's like wildfire. It continues to move throughout the whole area. Because when you love people and you follow Jesus and you share that with other people, it, it's a movement that moves. And we're saying that it couldn't have happened in any other way, yet we believe that there was a God who was raised from the dead. I mean, like, if we believe in the resurrection, all the rest of the pieces of this fall into place. And Jesus is teaching them something very hard. It's very hard to understand. It's very difficult. And it puts them in a place of, okay, am I going to follow Jesus and figure this thing out with him? Or not. The disciples who stayed with him, the 12, which we'll see in here in just a second, are the ones that got to be at that meal hearing him say, This is my body broken for you. This is the cup that's been poured out for you. He says, The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. Verse 63. The words that I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and of life, yet they are some, some of you do not believe. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. For from this time, this is the saddest verse, right? Verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed followed him. Then he said to his close disciples, Do you guys want to leave too? Jesus asked the twelve, and Simon Peter, you know who's my spirit animal? He, he just speaks before he thinks, right? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. There's two types of disciples here. The disciples who don't get the bread and they go. And there's disciples that don't understand what Jesus has taught in this moment and they stay. And they go, we know who you are, we trust who you are, and we're going to figure this thing out. When, the, when life falls apart, we know who you are, Jesus, and we're with you. When things don't make sense, we know who you are, Jesus, and we're with you. And we know later on you're going to show us, you're going to give us that understanding, you're going to help us get to that point. Throughout this entire thing, he's been calling himself the bread of life. The bread of life, right? And this word for life, there are two words in Greek that you could use for life. One is bios. Anybody here a biology major? Biology, bios comes from that. Biodome. Yeah, buddy. Just me, only me. 40-year-olds, 40, 40 we are with each other on the Polly Shore reference that I just did. Um, bios means life, means existence, right? We, it's, it applies to all life. But then there's this other word, zoe, right? Great name. A lot of little kids named Zoe. 
wonderful, beautiful name for a child. What, what Zoe means is um, the state of one who is possessed with vitality and who is, who is uh, animated. Or, here's another definition for Zoe, of the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belong to God. Here's, here's another one. Life, real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, devoted to God and blessed. Zoe is not just about life. Like Bios is like, is it alive? Yes, it's, it's alive. Zoe is about quality of life. Zoe, what God is saying he's bringing to us as the bread of Zoe, as the bread of life, is he's bringing this quality of life, this intensity of life, this beautiful fullness of life. It's that moment where you find yourself in a place and you say, this is life. This is living. And I've had some of those moments. I was just thinking this week about those moments where you say, this is life, you know. And for me, I was thinking about this moment where I, I hiked. I know it's hard to think about me hiking, but I did. I hiked up this. I'm just going to, I don't know the numbers behind it, but it was hours of strenuous uphill battle, right? This hike this was many years ago when my feet worked and I had half as much stamina as a normal person should have, okay? Uh, and I found myself hiking for hours up this mountain, and I got to the top of the mountain. This was in the country of Albania. I was there for a missions trip. I was hanging out with some of my, uh, my friends in Albania, and there, at the top of this mountain was this gigantic cross that just went, uh, you know, to me, I don't know, I'm going to throw these, I think I hiked 10,000 feet up, I'm pretty sure, that's what it was. Uh, and this cross must have been 500 feet high. I don't know how high it was for real, but those are the numbers. I, I hiked 10,000 feet up, and I don't know if that's possible, but I, it was a lot. And I got to the top of this mountain, I sat at the base of this cross, and I felt so small. And I looked out on this gigantic valley. Basically, I could see for miles and miles, and it was perfect weather and there was just like like slight slight clouds around and it's just like you could see forever and I was like this is living this is it right here's a here's a picture of it I know it's coming there you go there's me I sat there under that cross and I was like this is living you ever had that moment right it's sometimes it's huge it's a moment like this is gigantic but other times, it's not the craziest thing in the world. I, I remember after we uh, had Miles, um, that first Sunday where I like laid down on the couch and had Miles on my chest, and he was sleeping just on my chest, and I'm pretty sure the Masters was on, or golf, some kind of golf, which I don't mean to, like, it's not good to watch golf. It's actually good to nap to golf. It's the best <laughs> napping thing ever. And you just have this baby on your chest, and you're like, this is living, right? This is a moment where like, you're like, this is, this is life, right? I was thinking even a little further than that, like last year we went to the, the beach, and it had been a hard year of COVID, and uh, just felt cooped up, and just everything was, I don't know, just kind of muted. All of life just seemed muted. I don't know if anybody else felt that way. And we... We went to see my parents, and they live in Florida, and they have like a private beach that they're able to go to because their community owns it. And so we get out on this beach, and we sit in this lawn chair or this uh, beach chair, and we have this like umbrella over us, 
and the kids are, are playing right at the edge of the water, and the water is just like crystal clear, um, and it's just breezy, and it's perfect, it's 80 degrees, and it's just ideal, and you're just sitting there, and you're like, this is living. Right? There are moments in our lives where we go, this is Zoe. This is the moment right here. This is the fullest possible life that I can live. This is the moment where I'm like, this is what it's all about. And you have those moments. And there, when we're in those moments, right, I want to ask you what your Zoe is rooted in. Because Jesus is saying to the crowd, your Zoe, your life comes from me. It's rooted in who I am. In that moment after I climbed that gigantic 10,000 foot Everest type hill that took me hours and hours and hours to get up to, I felt small. I felt like God was huge. It was a spiritual moment for me that I was like, this is life. And I feel like God is just like making himself known to me in this moment, showing me his creation and saying, I created all of this for your pleasure. Right? When I had... Miles or Macy laying on top of me in that first week of life and they're just sleeping on my chest and I'm just napping to just God's amazing gift of golf. Right, like you, you could say, I provided this house and that TV and it's like, I'm, it's prideful. And there's, but I was just like, God knew this child before he ever gave this child to us and he created this life and he has given me an opportunity to step into this. Like, it was a moment of Zoe because the bread was found in Jesus, not in my own pride or my own self. And by the way, like, guys, we can't be proud of having kids. Like, our wives are the heroes in that moment, right? Like, you know, that moment where uh, you're sitting on the beach, you could be like, I can take this vacation because of how much I've succeeded. And this is a moment where all the things I've been working for have come together and I've worked and worked and worked, and now I have this moment of, of uh, rest, and this is my own doing. Or you can be like, this year has been incredibly difficult, and here's God giving me a breath, providing life to our family. Right? The zoe, the life that you're looking for, needs to be found in the bread of who Jesus is, and it's in devouring who he is. It was all throughout his Sermon 27, don't work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, eternal zoe. 33, for the bread of, of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives zoe to the world. 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of zoe. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him would have eternal zoe and will be raised with him on the last day. 47, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has zoe. 48, I am the bread of zoe. 51, I am living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will zoe forever. And the bread that I will give you, give for this zoe of, my, of the world is my flesh Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no zoe in you. Whoever feeds, um, this is 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Eternal zoe. Like this is what Jesus is talking about. The truest, fullest possible life means that you are finding life in him, that it's rooted in who he is, it's rooted in what he gives, it's rooted in him. 
that those moments where you say, this is living, you're still in that moment worshiping him for what he's given you. In those moments where you're low and things aren't working out the way that you want them to work out, you're still worshiping him in that moment. And you're looking forward to a time when he changes the, the story. Right? When you're confused, that you're leaning into him and finding that Zoe in him in that moment where you don't know what to do with what's going on around you. That you're, you're rooted in the bread that, he, that only he can provide. And those disciples who are just saying, give me more bread, are missing what it means to follow Jesus and their temporary disciples. That the moment he teaches a hard thing, that things don't go exactly the way you want, that the bread's not on demand, and they turn, and they leave. Are you a disciple who finds life in Jesus no matter what your situation is? Or are you a disciple who says, the minute things don't go the way I want them to, or he doesn't provide what I want to, or I put the code in and the thing doesn't pop out, then I'm going to kick the machine and walk away. Because that's what happened in this situation. Jesus purposefully thins the crowds between the disciples who just want the bread and the disciples who want to find the bread in Christ. And there's a difference. By the way, Jesus wasn't a megachurch guy. I know his disciples were like, why did you do this? <laughs> that was the worst sermon ever, Jesus. I don't know if you noticed, but 10,000 people just walked out the door. Right? He was not about drawing as many people possible to him, although he wants everyone to come to a knowledge of who he is. He was about making sure his disciples were there for the right purposes. It wasn't about numbers, numbers, numbers. It wasn't about continual growth and up into the, up into the right curve for the rest of time. It wasn't about let's get to 10,000 and 20,000 and 30,000. It was like, no, let's find disciples who find their life in Jesus. Real disciples. You have to ask the question, are you, am I a real disciple? When I struggle, do I find my life in God? When I succeed, do I find my life in God? When I have these moments of amazing clarity, is it God who I'm worshiping in those moments? Because that's what it looks like to be a disciple. And if not, the crowd gets thinned, the false disciples burn away, the ones who are trying to use God for their own purposes, they don't find what they're looking for. Jesus is our bread of life. Let me, let me pray for us as we close. Jesus, we desire the fullest possible life. This life that you describe, that you want us to have, that you lovingly offer us. God, would you help us find that life in our relationship with you as we dig into your word, as we dig into our relationship with you, as we pray to you, as we spend time with you, as we worship you, God, would you just continue to be our source of life, that you would be this incredible family bread, this bread that gives us everything we need, that fills us to the fullest point. God, would you continue to just be everything to us? That when we struggle, that when things aren't great, but we still find that, that strength in our relationship with you. Would you draw near to us in those moments and help us to see and feel your presence in those times? And God, we thank you that you don't leave us alone. You don't leave us hungry. You don't provide what we need, God. You give us yourself. You give us everything that we need. And you call us to be true disciples. Help us to be true disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.